Hey, if this is your first time listening, I strongly recommend going back to episode one, Where Warm Waters Halt, to listen to the story from the beginning. Okay, here's the show. The nation erupted into scenes of chaos, violence, dozens of American cities up in flames after some protests turned into riots. It was right there, in the middle of this widespread civil unrest in America, on June 5th, 2020, that Forrest Fenn's treasure hunt quietly came to an end. But how did we get here? Okay, let's play a little game. Can you remember the major stories that were dominating the news cycle in the weeks before the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001? Let me help you out. First, American beachgoers were terrified by what was dubbed the Summer of the Shark due to the inordinate amount of shark attacks that occurred in the summer of 2001 on America's beaches. Then, there was the scandal that enveloped the Little League World Series when it was discovered that the team from New York City had a player two years over the age limit and was forced to forfeit all the games they had won that had earned them a third-place finish. Chandra Levy, a 24-year-old intern from Washington, D.C., went missing and was presumed dead. A cloud of suspicion hung over a California congressman when it was revealed the two were having an affair. That congressman was eventually cleared, and the real killer was found and brought to justice. And finally, just two weeks before the attacks, the singer Aaliyah died in a plane crash in the Bahamas. Each of those events were major news headlines every day for months. Then, in an instant, the events of September 11th changed the world forever. Every news story from the months prior were all but erased from our memories. They were relics of the past and buried far off the front page in the days and weeks after 9-11. Nearly two decades later, 2020 began with a series of headlines that we all wish we could forget. For many around the world, the tragic death of international sports icon Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other unfortunate souls on January 6th was the first shocking news event of 2020. Ultimately, it was the first of many terrible events that year. In less awful times, an event like the death of Kobe Bryant would have dominated the news for months. But in a year like 2020, the story lasted barely six weeks. Before Kobe, do you remember the tragedy of the Australian bushfires? The loss of life and property was relatively low due to the remoteness of the majority of the fires, but the loss of wildlife is difficult to comprehend and truly an ecological disaster that will take generations to fully recover from, if ever. But then came that overcast January morning when a strange tweet started a ripple of confusion 
that turned into a tsunami of grief when it became clear what had unfolded in the beautiful hills north of Los Angeles. And that's what we all followed. Through the NTSB investigation, through the heart-wrenching memorial at Staples Center, as a nation and as a global community, we were captivated. We mourned as sports fans. We mourned as parents. Nearly the whole world, it seemed, mourned as one. Little did we know, at that very moment that we were processing the unimaginable tragedy in Los Angeles, a microscopic organism, a virus, was already circling the globe. And this was just the tip of the iceberg, if you happened to be a devoted treasure hunter in the year 2020. Welcome back to X Marks the Spot. You're listening to Episode 9, The Blaze. We have a new name for the coronavirus. The World Health Organization has officially called it COVID-19. Tonight, the CDC says the infected passenger passed through busy SeaTac Airport in Seattle, the first confirmed U.S. case of the contagious coronavirus now in Washington state. Despite early rumblings of COVID on the news, the virus was mostly downplayed by elected officials and medical professionals in the beginning and presumed to be, at worst, another SARS or swine flu outbreak that affected only a handful of unfortunate, seemingly random victims. But all that changed in a truly stunning series of events on a single day in March. March 11th, 2020 was a Wednesday. The day began with the news of Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein being sentenced to 23 years in prison for the crimes of rape and sexual abuse. Then came the news that the WHO had declared that COVID-19 should be characterized as a pandemic. Then the rolling blackouts in New York City. Almost immediately, the stock market plunged more than 1,200 points. By that afternoon, America had banned travel from Europe. But then, in the early evening, two things happened that really drove it home for all Americans. First, Tom Hanks announced that he and his wife, Rita Wilson, had contracted COVID-19 while working in Australia. And then, mere hours later, the NBA season was canceled due to concerns over the coronavirus. Incredibly, all this happened on the same day, March 11th, 2020. Within weeks, the world was shut down. Cases skyrocketed, Hospitals were filled to overflowing, and the death rate was climbing. And just as we were all settled into our new lives of working from home, remote learning for our children, sanitizing our groceries, finding masks that didn't hurt our ears, and learning to live with an ever-present, low-level sense of anxiety with regard to the future of our species, the world woke up on the spring morning of Tuesday, May 25th, and watched a murder on the morning news. George Floyd died asking for his mother with his final strained breaths 
After weeks of quarantine and spurred by the horror of the video captured of the death of Mr. Floyd, millions of people in the U.S. and around the globe took to the streets in protest of police brutality. In several cities, the protests turned violent and destructive, leading to weeks of clashes with police, looting, and the burning of businesses. Incredibly, it was right at this moment, June 5th, 2020, when it seemed like the entire country was coming apart at the seams, that the search for Forrest Fenn's treasure was over. Despite all the unforgettable events of that year that disrupted the world, for the treasure hunting community, the news that the chest had been found was yet another tragedy of an already tumultuous year. Thousands of Fen devotees and searchers who had been forced to isolate themselves in their homes from a deadly infectious virus were rapidly coming to terms with reality. Someone had successfully figured out the clues in the poem, all of them. The search was over. The online community of treasure hunters that had become a home to so many was sure to crumble, or at least become far less active. And worst of all, the dreams of riches and glory that had sustained so many searchers were, in an instant, dashed. It was a sudden, crushing defeat. So severe, in fact, for some, that they simply refused to believe the truth. Many in the Fen community found themselves examining the previous several years of their lives, tallying up the time and money spent in a fruitless search for a treasure that now rightfully belonged to someone else. That level of personal inventory-taking and soul-searching was intense for many of the dedicated searchers who had made the quest for Forrest Fen's gold their primary mission in life. How did this happen? Who was the finder? Where was the treasure found? Was I close? Do I even want to know if I was close? As you may have noticed by this point, we have not heard from the finder, Jack Stoof, directly. And not for lack of trying. The truth is, Mr. Stoof has gone very much off the radar. We made several attempts to reach him, but we're not able to include his voice as part of this podcast. Mr. Stoof did, however, speak to journalist Daniel Barbarisi for Outside Magazine about his good fortune in finding Forrest Fenn's treasure chest. Amazingly, it was Barbara Anderson and her lawsuit that convinced Jack Stoof to speak out publicly. The Outside article reported that Barbara Anderson, quote, alleges that the unknown finder of the treasure had located it by hacking her texts and emails and stealing her solve. She believed the treasure was in New Mexico. Stoof says he never met nor heard of Anderson before the suit. He denies her charges and says the treasure was nowhere near New Mexico. End quote. Another reason for Jack Stoof's reluctance to speak in much detail about the treasure and his solve is out of respect for Forrest Fenn and the place he loved so much, Yellowstone. The article from outside reported that Jack Stoof feared that the resting place for the treasure, if revealed, would become a pilgrimage site for Fenn devotees. Stoof is quoted as saying, 
it's not an appropriate place to become a tourist destination. It has huge meaning to Forrest, and I don't want to see it destroyed. And as much as I tried not to develop an attachment to the place, eventually I did as well. I had whole days out there looking, and I would take a nap in the afternoon every day under the pine trees. It was very peaceful for me. End quote. As we have all come to realize, finding answers would prove nearly as difficult as finding the gold itself. So how did it happen? Well, simply enough, Jack Stoof found the blaze. Which leads us to our ninth and final clue. After the break. The ninth and final clue from the poem reads, If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down, your quest to cease. We have mentioned the blaze briefly in earlier episodes, but it's time to go a little deeper into what a blaze is and also what a blaze isn't. To put it simply, a blaze can be considered a road sign in the woods. Consider for a moment pre-colonial North America. It was once written that when the first English settlers landed in what would become Jamestown, a squirrel could travel from the Carolina coast to the Mississippi River without touching the ground. Such was the abundance of forested land. The first inhabitants of North America called these lands their home and thrived there for generations. Navigating these ever-changing woods was an absolute necessity. One of the ways this was accomplished was by the use of blazes, semi-permanent markers to aid travelers in environments where the landscape seemed the same in all directions. Some early examples of blazes include small rock formations that are obviously human-made, carvings in trees, broken branches, basically anything that you could use to allow someone to get their bearings and avoid becoming lost. Look for the blaze on the big oak tree, then go left. That kind of thing. Now, due to the evolution of the English language, blaze is often misunderstood to be a verb rather than a noun. We're all familiar with the adage, she blazed a trail for future generations, or something along those lines. We take it to mean clearing a path where none had existed. However, originally that phrase was far less dramatic. To blaze a trail simply meant to mark a trail. In the case of Forrest Fenn's treasure hunt, the blaze marked where the treasure lay hidden. It can be argued that, technically, Forrest misused the term blaze. A blaze should be used to mark the beginning of something, the start of a trail or a path, not the end of one. But still, a blaze is a blaze. So what did Jack Stoof find? As usual, there are countless interpretations. I said, I know what my search area is. I just need to see if I can find whatever the blaze is. And uh, when I found that fire pit, I thought it was going to be a little bit easier because he says, if you've been wise and found the blaze, you found the actual fire pit that he used to cook his rainbow trout on. And then following the road there along Antelope Creek, and I saw the blaze. It just popped up at me 
on the picture on Google Earth, and it was a giant white, lazy-looking thing in the Earth called calcium carbonate. And it was beautiful. It sort of looked to me like an Indian head. This big white blaze, I knew that was it. Well, the blaze, I think it can be twofold. Actually, maybe threefold. So I'm still waiting because of the reference in the Finder articles, quote-unquote Finder articles, about the broken blaze. I think it's suggesting there are three blazes. At one point, I was wrong. I thought the blaze was Blaze Mountain. You could see Blaze Mountain from the trail. So as I was walking down the trail, I could see Blaze Mountain. I was up in the Spanish Peaks in, Mo in, in Montana, which was outside of Yellowstone. And I was looking at Blaze Mountain, and I thought somehow Blaze Mountain was, if you could see it on the trail, which you could as you're walking down the trail, you're like, okay, there's Blaze Mountain. The treasure's got to be around here somewhere, if you've been wise and found the blaze. In this canyon, there's a wreckage of an old car from the 1920s. It's a car that had careened off the edge of the canyon. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm sure it burned up in a fire, so it's got to, it could be the blaze. And I was like, this is it. I think the blaze is actually in the poem. And I think the blaze is the GPS coordinates inside the poem. Aside from Mr. O'Connell's belief that the blaze was a set of coordinates hidden in the poem, there were many other intriguing solves, and some very unsettling ones as well. There was an extremely deranged man who believed the blaze and the treasure itself was actually Forrest Fenn's own granddaughter who needed to be abducted. Then there was the searcher who felt that it was necessary to burn down a large wooded area within a national park in order to reveal the location of the treasure chest. Luckily, he was apprehended before he could do any serious damage. There were also more poetic and creative interpretations, like the question posed from a specific searcher who felt the blaze was a password hidden in verse. The verse read, quote, where is the blaze from the days and the maze from the veil? End quote. Apparently, that answers everything. So why isn't the searcher responsible for that little gem counting up his gold? He claims he was too late with his solve. It didn't come to him until October of 2020. It was the Greeks who lived by the axiom, simplicity is beauty. Perhaps Forrest Fenn lived by this motto as well. Assuming that to be the case, it's probable that the blaze was none of those things and was, in fact, a marker in the woods. The woods that lay across the Madison River in the vicinity of Nine Mile Hole. But again, what was it? According to Forrest, it was semi-permanent. He's noted as saying that it would still be there in a hundred years, but not in a thousand years. He also acknowledged the possibility of damage by natural causes. Jack Stoof, allegedly, believed the blaze to be associated with a tree, either something embedded in the tree, like an arrowhead, or maybe a carving of a symbol. Something that would be difficult for an animal, or a passing human even, to accidentally efface. That supposition would fit with the proposed life expectancy of the blaze offered by Forrest himself. A tree would likely still be there in a hundred years, 
and was susceptible to damage from lightning, fires, or other natural causes. And, according to Jack, the blaze was, in fact, damaged. That explained why it had taken him 25 search days to finally find the treasure, quite by accident. Remember Ben from the last episode? If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. Jack, in his description and accounting of things, found the chest first and then looked up and found the blaze. That's not how the poem goes. Looking up to find the blaze? Kind of sounds like a tree to me. As we've stated several times in this podcast, we may never know the answers to the most pressing questions that have been raised here. Mainly, the circumstances surrounding the discovery of the chest, the location of the chest, and the solves for each individual clue. But there's hope. As of this recording, there are rumors circulating within the community that before his death, Forrest recorded a video at the urging of his legal team. The video is of Forrest himself taking viewers directly from where warm waters halt to the blaze and explaining every step along the way in detail. He supposedly made the video as a safety net to protect his heirs from the lawsuits that were piling up regarding alleged stolen solves. If necessary, they could bust out the video, drop the mic, and go home. I wonder if even that would convince some of the people we've interviewed. We'll have to wait and see, but it appears that Forrest may have one final card to play. And while we're on the topic of blazes, I feel the need to reiterate that the common use of a physical blaze is to mark the beginning of a trail, not the end of one. I'm sure that Forrest's blaze was as much for him as it was for the search community. I mean, without it, it's doubtful that Forrest could have found his way back to the spot. But again, blazes generally mark the beginning of a journey. Say, for example, you're listening to a podcast whose production team was desperate for the same answers you are about a treasure hunt. But sadly, there was nothing they could do about it. So they decided that since they couldn't provide all the answers for this treasure hunt, they would create a treasure hunt of their own and guarantee that this one would end differently, transparently, with full disclosures of the solves and no anonymity for the finder. Then you could say that this moment, right now, this is a digital blaze that marks a new trail, a new journey that begins back at episode one and provides clues. Clues that are hidden throughout the series that will lead you directly to a new treasure. So listen closely. Some are hiding in plain sight. Others are fiendishly cloaked where you'd least expect them. But they're there, waiting for you. For someone to decipher the clues, follow the steps, and be the first to declare, X marks the spot. Oh, and if you think this all sounds too complicated to bother, I can give you 50,000 reasons to give it a try. Happy hunting. Northwest.
Northwest 305, Northwest 305. This is Captain William Scott. It is currently 7.51 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we are being hijacked. I repeat, we are undergoing a hijacking. I have been instructed to broadcast the following tape on two frequencies. Stand by. Broadcasting now. Condor Ape for Good Samaritan. I was wrong to doubt you. Everything went according to plan, and I'm about to jump and go into hiding. Now, since the FBI's on to us, I've encrypted the instructions so only you can understand. If you want to get your $50,000, I suggest you stick to the plan, and remember that the cash is not going to be buried or hidden. It doesn't work that way. Goodbye, my friend. I leave you with this poem. I know the keeper has three keys, but he keeps them away from me. Ever watchful Cerebus sees, let's hear closely what awaits me. Prime elements point to a sign. They came in line by two to view, the first land in an order true. The time was spring and blossoms grew. The muse's call is silver sharp, yet softer chaos plays her harp, waiting for brasses to tango, frequently down to the micro. Marble chest... All warble garble, waiting to be tuned with the cold and wise Claudius's straight table, reversed his heart all made of gold. Last but not least, winter is near. We find Helen, the hunt's ending. I am all drunk with pretending. Let's find the words and disappear. Crazy, right? It's been decades since Condor sent that recording to my grandmother. And I've been trying to figure this out ever since. But honestly, I've hit a brick wall. So I've decided it's time to maybe become an air pirate myself of sorts and go public with what I know because maybe one of you can figure out what I couldn't. You can call me the Good Samaritan and I'll be here to help along the way. For now, I'll leave you with this. Most of what you need to solve this puzzle is hidden in the podcast episodes you just listened to. But I do happen to have some highly classified information that you're probably going to want to get your hands on. So if you're really serious about solving this puzzle, here's what you're going to do. Visit xmtspodcast.com and that'll get you started. That's xmtspodcast.com. Well, what are you waiting for? You have a treasure to find.